Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going to be bringing you guys some news on the Oklahoma City Blue. I'll be talking about a new two-way addition and a recent trade within the franchise, breaking down both of those respectively. And then I'm also going to be giving you all some all-star coverage, what we saw from Josh Giddy and his two events. And to tie everything up, guys, have a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook, so you do not want to miss out on that. But starting things out here with the Oklahoma City Blue, I've kept relatively quiet on the team the last couple weeks or so. I've given some recaps, some statistics, uh, but there hasn't been any major moves outside of some recalls that we saw in guys like Teo Maladon and Isaiah Roby, for example. But we're starting to see news trickle back in, and we saw the first shot come in with Lindy Waters the third two weeks ago getting signed on a two-way contract as a result of that Paul Watson Jr. was let go he's currently uh, on the FIBA basketball roster representing the United States but they made that swappage gave my two cents a couple pods ago you guys can uh, listen to that one but long story short it's the best one for one upgrade that you would have had on the blue roster. Waters was shooting about 52% from distance during the regular season of play with the blue. And in terms of a catch and shoot piece, you weren't going to find much better uh, outside of him in Oklahoma City. So that was a good pickup. But they made a new signing today. As you guys know, Aaron Wiggins was upgraded about a week ago. And that opened up the second two-way contract, gave it out to center Olivier Saar today. And honestly, this is a very good pickup for the Thunder. When I was breaking down two-way targets about a week ago, Olivier Saar was pegged as one of my top options. I believe I had him as number two with Mamadi Daikite uh, being there in the number one spot. But, you know, the reasoning was the Oklahoma City Thunder, they really don't have centers, you know, and technically speaking, you could say Favors, you could say Muscala, and you'd be correct, but they're both 30 years old, and I would probably assume that Derek Favors is not in a Thunder jersey uh, in the next two seasons. He's on a two-year deal right now, so he might he might return uh, next season. Same goes with Muscala on his, but those aren't your long-term guys. You know, when you're looking at long-term centers, you really don't even have one right now. You had guys like Moses Brown and Tony Bradley go in and out as experiments last year. You have Isaiah Roby and Jeremiah Robinson Earl as the centers right now, but they're both 6'8", 6'9". That's not going to do it for you if you're really looking to contend. Uh, So you need a big body center. You need a a young one to kind of fit your rebuild here. And, you know, you get that with Saar. And when I look at Saar and just the signing itself, it really mirrors what happened last season. As you guys remember, the Oklahoma City Thunder had a similar predicament after upgrading Moses Brown's contract uh, after a really strong performance in the G League bubble. So you had one available two-way spot and you had multiple names that could have been linked to this two-way contract. There was Rob Edwards, there was Jalen Horde, and there was Omer Yurt7. 
Yurt 7 was not picked up on a two-way contract. The Thunder did not evaluate him after the bubble, despite him averaging 15 points and about eight rebounds in a bench roll. And what do you know? He is a double-double machine with the Miami Heat right now, and he doesn't have to worry about his next paycheck. He is in the league with his ability to play uh, both as a pick-and-pop artist, but inside, what a good post set he has. And also just as a rebounder, he's very, very scrappy there, despite him being 7 feet tall, probably 260 pounds. Anyways, you missed out big time not picking up or at least experimenting with Omer, and you get a guy in Sar who's sort of in a similar position. This is a center that is also 22 years old, and he's been very productive playing second fiddle uh, in, under Grant Gibbs. You know, he's not the starting center. The starting center has been a mixture of Isaiah Roby and really DJ Wilson. And because of it, Sar's played below 20 minutes per game. Despite that, He's been one of the more efficient guys with the Oklahoma City Blue this year. And kind of backtracking to where it all began in the Winter Showcase play-in games. He had 15 games. In those games, he ended up playing in 14 of them. Dude averaged 7.1 points and 4.6 rebounds in 14.1 minutes. He was hardly out there. This is a maybe 8th or ninth man in your rotation. And he was nearing double figures on multiple occasions, almost notched a double-double, and he ended up finishing uh, with five games out of those 14 where he dropped 10 or more points, and he never played more than 25 minutes in a game. And then you move into the regular season, which is from January uh, to the current day with this roster. He's played nine games with uh, the Oklahoma City Blue. Had a bit of a minute up uptick. It's really nothing to harp about here. But he went from 14.1 minutes to playing 18.1 minutes. In it, he's averaged 8.7 points and 7.3 rebounds, almost averaging a double-double without breaking 20 minutes per game on average. That is pretty damn ridiculous. And in it, he's been able to feel himself from downtown. When he was in Kentucky's reigns and also in Wake Forest, you know, the shot was always a question mark, but he liked to take those chances from distance. You didn't see much of it in Winter Showcase play, but this regular season, he's shooting 6 of 10 from distance. In the mid-range, he's really starting to feel it, and he's become a threat there uh, within the roster. So I really liked what I've seen from him. And then he's also been able to tie it down, not just on the points, but the rebounds. Two double-doubles for him, and four double-digit performances have come in those nine games. So as a collective, he's ended up playing 23 games, and nine of those, he's come up with 10 or more points. And he's not the starter, folks. He's having to go with some chump change, and he's just built upon it, had some statement performances, and his overall archetype, in my eyes, is something that is worth reassessing yet again and this isn't the first time Sar has been with the Thunder uh he was on two 10-day contracts actually he had the initial hardship exception granted his way that was alongside Jalen Horde Rob Edwards and Scotty Hobson 
but he separated himself from the pack. He had one very good game against the Sacramento Kings, and it gave him that second deal. Now, it didn't work out because that's when Mamadi came in the mix and kind of overtook him, but he had some strong performances. He had four points, five boards, and two blocks in 12 minutes against Sacramento, and those two blocks came within 45 seconds of each other. So he brought a ton of energy there, and he really just carried over his G League style of play into the NBA ranks with almost no hiccups attached. And you got that really good game from Saar, but he never got to play again with the team. He got maybe two minutes, and then you called it quits. Second 10-day contract came and went, and then he was back with the Oklahoma City Blues. So there was more to be desired, and he continued to play at a high level with the Blue uh, after getting assigned back and I'm happy that he's back on the table with this team this is a former five-star very springy seven-footer and he gives you a lot of options in terms of versatility now off of a high ball screen is this dude faster than your typical seven-footer maybe a little bit it's not like a a Roby thing where he's gonna have that first step on you and he could be a dynamic role threat off the get-go But if you see teams decide to hedge or they're looking to double up top, you throw it inside to Olivier Saar. He has some bounce to him and he can do it off of standing dunks or driving dunks. He'll throw down the hammer and then additionally, he's willing to take contact around the basket. So you have him as a roll man, but also off of that pop, he's still working on it. It's a work in progress. You don't have a giant palette of shot attempts from him, even in the collegiate level from downtown, but his shot form does look nice, and when he's hot, he's a three-level threat, which is big time for this Thunder roster. Now, I will say uh, with him, I don't think there's like one area where he's just started. You know, he's not a Moses Brown type where you know day in day out he's gonna kill you with offensive rebounds he's a second chance points uh just master or a yurt seven where you know he can take you size you up in the post and get a really nice hook on you uh whenever he really feels like it he's kind of that blend where he's not seven two like brown and he is athletic but he can't just snag rebounds all the time he'll get putbacks and he'll get rapid succession Uh, shots but it's not going to be as often and then with yurt seven uh with him footwork was the primary thing i i think that sar has some decent uh blueprints in terms of the footwork inside i like his game but he's still dabbling in the post game and then also he's a lot more advanced than what you had uh, with moses brown as a shooter brown couldn't make a shot past five feet Sar is a work in progress. I think he does have the mid-range game down, which is a major plus. And then defensively, you know, he's not flat-footed. He's actually pretty quick. So he can chase down blocks, but he can also go right at you. He'll stand under the rim. He'll elevate. He'll look to reject shots. Uh, So I think for a pickup here and for a development uh, project, I guess, Olivier Sar was the best overall one uh, for Oklahoma City and specifically for their needs because they could have gone best available. They could have looked at other G League franchises, but if you're looking to stay in-house and you're looking to get a young player that 
will probably get minutes at the NBA level, you'd want it to go with Sar over a DJ Wilson, for example, because even though DJ is very good, he's also a bit older and the growth plates are kind of a bit more compact at this point. So I like the pickup in Olivier and that left room for an additional roster spot with the Oklahoma City Blue and they opted to make another transaction and I'll go into that in one second here. But before I get into that move, I'll let you guys know about my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook and the special offer they have for you all. Hoops fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is too good to pass up. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contests, and DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TV. PN, bet just $1 on any NBA team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 plus minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for a full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Void where prohibited. Minimum $5 deposit. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the TN red line. That's 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. But guys, moving on to the Blues' latest transaction. They've been quiet for the majority of the season. The only deals that we have seen have been pickups due to players like DJ Wilson, for example, getting a hardship deal. Just typical pickups from the waivers, and then you drop them whenever they are recalled back. But this is a cold, hard trade. And this one involves one of their best players, my favorite player on the roster, Melvin Frazier Jr. And here is the breakdown on the trade. The Iowa Wolves received Melvin Frazier Jr., and in return, the Oklahoma City Blue received Robert Woodard II in a first-round pick from Iowa in the 2022 G League Draft. So before going into Melvin, I think I want to talk a bit about who is going in return for Oklahoma City. You get Woodard II, who was waived by the Kings about five, six days ago. Claimed off of waivers by Iowa literally two days ago and got flipped to Oklahoma City. This is a former number 40 overall pick, six foot six small forward. With him, 
you're getting a guy that works a lot around the basket. He's not a three-point shooter, but it's yielded him results in the G League. He played during uh, the G League bubble last year, and he passed with flying colors. He was averaging 16.8 points and 11 rebounds there. But he's kind of been up and down uh, with the Stockton Kings. He's been with Sacramento the majority of the year. So he's kind of been limited uh, in terms of opportunities. But that's kind of where the potential is as a rebounder and as an inside guy. Uh, And then this first round pick that you're getting on the surface level, it looks pretty good because it is a first round pick. Uh, And, you know, when you break it down, you're thinking, hey, if it's right after the NBA draft, you're looking at like an extension, like pick number 70, let's say, like a third round in the NBA draft. Uh, That's not exactly how the G League draft works. Number one, you have to enlist your name on there. You have to sign a G League contract and then get selected from the pool. But also, a lot of guys are signed prior to this draft even happening, and they do this through Exhibit 10 contracts. That's how Melvin Frazier wound up with the Oklahoma City Blue two seasons ago. Thunder picked him up for all of 24 hours, waved him, and you have the G League rights. Same happened with Omer Yurt 7 two seasons ago as well, and that's how it works. The cream of the uh, crop players are picked up prior to this draft beginning. So you are limited a bit in who you can select, but there's always gems. For example, Xavier Simpson got selected in the first round last year. Rob Edwards got picked in the third round last year as well. And those guys have been key parts of Grant Gibbs' team for the last two seasons. You can definitely hit on it. But I do feel like you should prioritize current talent over potential G League pickups just because you can slap on an Exhibit 10 deal before the draft starts and you essentially have the number one pick in the draft. So that's basically a throw-in alongside Woodard. Maybe the Thunder had him on NBA radars prior to uh, this all being made. Iowa could have just taken him off waivers with the idea of trading him. That's sort of how this worked out anyways. And in return, they're getting Melvin Frazier Jr. And I've stated it many times before. Melvin Frazier Jr. should have been on an NBA roster. Whenever these hardship deals were passed around, it was a travesty. Melvin Frazier Jr. never actually caught a chance because he has been on the up and up all season long. And he's proved exactly why he was taken 35th in the 2018 NBA draft. This is a six foot six, seven foot two wingspan guard. He can play the two or the three, and he's a dominant force. And he has been in the G League for multiple seasons as a pickpocket, but also as a catch and shoot threat. And he's developed a lot of his game this year under Grant Gibbs. Last season, you signed him. Seemed like Melvin would have been in the forefront of the bubble roster. Nothing more than a flash in the pan. He barely played. He didn't close out the season for them. And it looked like he was gone. Returns for a second season. Has to work back up the roster. You have guys like Rob Edwards. Have players such as Georgios Kalixakis getting signed midseason. And then you have just the traditional assignments such as Trey Mann. uh, Kind of clogging up the guard spots. But he kept yielding really good results 
And every single night, if you're checking the box score, he was posting double figures consistently, doing it from downtown, inside. Didn't matter. He'd yield the results there, and he'd probably come up with a steal or two on the night. Really good two-way player. He's been a gym in the G League the last four seasons because the Magic, let's call it how it is, completely mishandled him under the rookie contract, playing Wes Awundu above him, getting Jonathan Simmons under contracts, like, just stunted his development tremendously. Uh, But, yeah, he's a good guy, and I think that, you know, he will get NBA minutes, or he deserves some because of how he has played continues to grow in his fourth season i do not blame iowa for signing him making this deal and throwing a first round pick on because if you see nba talent in somebody or you believe you can grow them into an nba prospect i'd be throwing out draft picks right now this is the g league as a gm your job is finding the gyms and finding them as soon as they hit the market melvin frazier jr is one of them in my eyes and i'm sure he's going to be great with the iowa wolves Kind of seems like a mutually beneficial venture, Um, really looking at Melvin here, because I would imagine his goal was to get a two-way contract or to get to the NBA stage this season. Fourth year, second year being out of the league, probably wants to push back in on a very good run, but now with Sargon signed, both two-way gigs are filled up. You're not going to find any options with Oklahoma City. The Timberwolves have one available roster spot. They have 14 guys and two two-way contracts. He could get his way into that 15th spot, or he could get netted on a two-way deal. Now, the one caveat is two-ways are not playing in the playoffs this season. It was different last year, but it is going to be a bit different now, as I mentioned. However, a two-way lets you play the remainder of the regular season for Minnesota, They're hanging around the seventh seed in the West right now. So they're looking to make a run and they need wings badly for three and D wings. Melvin Frazier Jr. is in the upper echelon of G League players and he's going to give you nightly outputs, whether it's on defensive uh, duty or just playing on the offensive side of the basketball. He's not a on ball threat, really. He's not going to force the basketball into his hands, but If you find him open in the corner, he'll pop it off the catch. If he has a driving lane, he'll take him from point A to point B. Might throw in a hard gather or Euro, but he'll get the job done for you all. So his total numbers on the season with OKC have gone as follows. Average 13.4 points, 3.6 rebounds, and 1.8 assists in 31 games. Shot 37.5% from distance, and I'm sure that's going to carry over to Iowa. He's already been activated on the roster. Robert Woodard is currently playing for the Blue in his debut right now against Sioux Falls. So I'll get you updates on that. Get you updates on Melvin. Really missed out here. I think if I were to judge things, I would say the Thunder are coming out with less talent. Um, But just due to the opportunities and due to Melvin grinding for two seasons I think he deserves a better shot a better environment to get uh, to the next level again and Minnesota is that right now because they're not a entirely rebuilding franchise like the Oklahoma City Thunder are right now but best of luck to him with Robert Woodard could be interesting only 22 might have been drafted 40th for a reason 
So it lets you untap some potential, and you never know with those G League draft picks. But moving on to NBA draft picks, and in particular, the sixth in this draft, Josh Giddy had an eventful weekend. Ended up participating in three different events across the three days of action. He was in the Rising Stars Challenge. He participated in the Clutch Shooting Challenge. And he also was in the Rising Stars Challenge as well. So just given the breakdown on things, you start out with the Rising Stars Tournament, really. Four teams, seven players on each. Giddies with a roster surrounded by Jalen Green, Tyrese Maxey, Cole Anthony, Jalen Suggs, just lots of guards, and you got Herbert Jones at the helm. And they ended up going against Team Isaiah to begin the competition. And Team Isaiah was the front runner going into the event. You have Anthony Edwards and Tyrese Halliburton filling out the one and the two. Sadiq Bey is there. Isaiah Stort is also going to be with you. And pretty much they just drafted all sophomores. That's what Isaiah Thomas did. Didn't mention it, but you got Desmond Bain there as well. And you got Jaden Hardy who can put uh, a lot of buckets down in a short amount of time. Uh, But you go into it, First to 50 points in the first round of the format, and Josh Giddy's roster was not able to get it done. This one went down to the wire, literally was a game decided by the final bucket, uh, went Team Isaiah's way off of a game winner there, but for Josh Giddy, did have a solid night. He didn't have a lot of points, that really wasn't his deal, two points for him but he had nine rebounds and six assists. When you're looking at who was scoring, no surprise, Jalen Green was number one. I had him listed as someone to watch out for in this competition just because he is a shot creator. Got a game high and event high 20 points in the first round. And you had Sadiq Bey of the Detroit Pistons stealing a bit of the thunder you thought that Edwards or Halliburton could have gotten as he finished his game with 16 points so they moved on they ended up playing team Peyton which had Cade Cunningham Evan Mobley Franz Wagner just a lot of rookies on hand and the rookies came out on top led by Cade Cunningham he had five points this is a game 225 points they were able to get down and dirty in the stretch of play Cunningham hit a three-point shot to get them up 24-21. to Then he rebounded a missed shot off of Sadiq Bey, gave the ball to Franz Wagner, got fouled, hit his first free throw, and called it a night. Cunningham walked away with the championship trophy or the finals MVP trophy for the Clorox event. Kind of curious how a Clorox trophy ends up looking, but ask Kate Cunningham. He now has one, and all the members from team Peyton were able to rejoice had my money on team Isaiah didn't work out my way all good though in the case of Giddy no alley-oops really I thought we'd see the Jalen Green show come into action off of some lobs didn't really come into fruition and definitely didn't come into fruition on Saturday my goodness that was a not a great event for the league uh, putting it nicely but yeah that was his time there and Actually, during the same night, 
he was able to compete in a second event. This is the clutch shooting event played with Evan Mobley. Uh, and this came from almost like the shooting stars challenge of what you saw back in the early 2010s. I know they had it probably mid 2000s as well, where you got to hit shots from certain areas on the floor. Five different shots come from some legendary markers. You have a three foot shot, have one in the right corner have a shot in the um, Dame area, which is, you know, um, one that Thunder fans might want to forget about. Top of the key, 20-footer. And then you round it out with, uh, I think, like a free throw shot. But you got to hit all five of those in the quickest amount of time. Mobley and Giddy set the bar pretty damn high and looked like they were going to walk away as champs. Got nipped at the very end, though, by Tyrese Halliburton and Desmond Bain. They got it done. Ended up winning that one. Uh, but I think the real uh, conversation came with Scotty Barnes. Dude went 0-4 from a 3-foot layup. And Tyrese Maxey, his teammate, he went 0-2. They couldn't get a 3-foot shot to go down. And it hindered them from potentially winning the contest. So they embarrassed themselves a little bit. Had a pretty uh, bad walkout from Scotty Barnes. He looked super disappointed. Didn't really know what to say when he got mic'd up right after he shanked four free throws or four layups. I couldn't blame the rookie one bit. I'd probably do the exact same thing. Uh, But yeah, Giddy looked good as a shooter. He was hitting his shots. Mobley was hitting his as well. Just came down to the final Damian Lillard shot, and Giddy couldn't get it going. Took about three, four tries for Mobley to hit his. And for Halliburton and Bain, it's clockwork for them. They're always out from the perimeter, and they were able to hit theirs right as they teed the shot off. So Giddy walked into Saturday 0 of 2 in terms of events, but the Rising Stars Challenge kind of catered a little bit towards him you know this is a primary passing event now in years past like it's always sort of about passing you dribble pass a couple dummies just go in and out a couple times throw it through a tire get another basketball run down hit a layup go other side kind of dribble make another pass etc etc end it off with a three you know it's it's kind of just like point a point b stuff but they did change up the dynamics a little bit for this season so it's not just about the dribbling and the actual like skills challenge parts there were multiple different aspects to the knights uh, and with it giddy was paired on a team with some rookies paired up with Cade cunningham and scotty barnes he had the identicumpo brothers forming a team that's Giannis, thanasis and alex and then you had team cavaliers with a rookie and evan mobley get jared allen there and you get first-time All-Star and Darius Garland to round out their roster. And the way it worked, you got three teams. Three different events were held to narrow it down to a championship contest. So you do three challenges just to weed out one team. And you started it out with a shooting contest. And you have different point values for all these. So let's say Team A wins the first event first event's worth 100 points you get 100 points in the bag uh, towards the finals and top two teams uh, in terms of points going into or concluding that third round punch their tickets to the finish line right there 
And starting out with the shooting contest, same exact structure really as what you had uh, on Friday. So Giddy had some experience just taking shots in the corner, wing, whatnot. Starts as the number one player in the event, and he nets 16 points. He hit three left corner threes, which were worth four points, and two left wing mid-ranges that were worth two. So he kind of had a pattern going on. He saw that there were uh, two really closely together targets, so why not just abuse it? I think the rule was you couldn't just take it from one spot over and over. So made it a bit easier to transport and still get some points in the process. So he had the highest output on the rookie team. Cunningham had 10 points and Barnes went 2 of 8 to get you 6 points. So he straight up matched his two teammates uh, to get 32 points as a whole. And after the Identicumpo brothers went, looked like they were in good shape. They only got 20 points in all. But then the Cavaliers went up. You had... Evan Mobley just shooting out of his freaking mind. Jared Allen was solid. And to close out, Garland needed about two, three shots. Probably hits like six or seven. They won handedly 47 points for them and snagged the 100 points in the process. And it moved on into round two, which was also worth 100 points, which came from a passing challenge. And this is right up Josh Giddy's alley. The rules to this one had 30 seconds to complete passes uh, to various different targets across the court. They're moving around just a little bit. Had one on the left baseline, one on the right baseline, and then one right up the middle. One thing that they had was if you're in the competition or just in general, every single person needs to attempt a shot on all the goals. So it kind of turned into like a three-man weave system almost. Uh, to get into that requirement and since the rookies went first and there wasn't a lot of prep kind of bumped into each other to begin but it did not stop them Josh Giddy strummed out a team high yet again got 36 points and in all they had 88 team points really large number for them Giannis's team steps up to the plate and you get the MVP dropping 40 points, throwing it through the tires. His other brothers chalked up 48, so it meant a two-way tie was in the mix. And then with the Cavs, they only had 70 points, meaning that the points went to a tiebreaker. And the tiebreaker came off of outlet passes. Giannis had that tiebreaker. They got the 100 points, and you moved on to the dribbling portion which was worth 200 and this is the standard like taco bell skills challenge when you think of it it's where you weave through the dummies throw it through the tires bounce pass chest pass whatever cap it off with a layup or a three and for the rookies they went out there and they were just getting clowned by the commentary crew sort of like an afterthought that they even had a chance to end up uh, winning everything here but they step out on the floor and you have them post their time and a little bit over a minute took them in all 78 seconds. Giddy had a portion where he didn't dribble around a test dummy, gave him a, a time slapper there. So it kind of hurt them a little bit. Uh, and with the Giannis guys up next, you'd think it kind of get shattered, but 
Giannis's group could not get shots to go down. They weren't able to hit the bar. Neither were the Cavs. And it meant that Giddy's crew got 200 points. They had the first place ballot going into the finals. And a tiebreaker between the Giannis Adetokounmpo family and the Cavs were set in place. Cavs won that one. And it moved on into the final round, which was literally just hitting a half-court shot, which is is crazy. You know, if you're going to do 45 minutes of skills challenges, you're going to leave it up to hitting a half-court shot? A little odd. But they get the rookies out there. Giddy misses his first shot. You have a couple missed ones. And you have Cade Cunningham draining a shot in 9.9 seconds. That's a really good time for a half quarter. Got about five attempts in the chamber for the Cavs. If they don't hit it, Giddy's going out there with some hardware. But on Evan Mobley's first try, he nailed the half court shot, swished it home. Cavs took home the Taco Bell trophy in Cleveland. And Giddy walked away with nothing outside of a very cool jersey. And when I say it was cool, it was. Bright Orange Rising Stars Uni. Don't see it on sale anywhere. Maybe there will be some resellers out there. Um, but as of right now, NBA Store does not have anything listed. Giddy's going to be walking into his next contest off of three consecutive triple doubles though. Could have gotten an ego boost off of uh, some of the wins here. Didn't end up happening, but he sure looked good. Reinstilled the values that he's an insane passer. And he did better than what people thought uh, were the best passers in this class. Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley. I don't know if you want to really chalk everything up to throwing a basketball through tires, but God damn it, Josh Giddy can do it. And he can hit players wide open on the basketball court too. So we'll see more action from him, see more action from all the rookies and all the different players in a couple of days now. And I will get you all recaps as soon as they get back into NBA action. But other than that though, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. I thank you all for listening and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.